You're listening to Black Humboldt's new podcast, Black Aesthetic. And we're celebrating our love for Black arts and culture within Humboldt County. What up? This Queen D rocking this body from East Coast to Humboldt. Woo! Hey, this is Dilar, healing souls on the streets. K.M. Ross, popping shots, killing things, and making stuff. Hey, hey, it's your girl, Mo. Mom artist extraordinaire. Baby, baby. Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman. What did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay. My one hand holding tight my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Lucille Clifton. This week, we're featuring Tina Okoye and how she exists in Humboldt County. What's up, everybody? We have Tina on the podcast today. Hey, Tina. What's going on, Tina? Hey, y'all. I'm so happy to be here. Tina Okoye is an artist in her own right. She has many um, talents, but we're going to highlight her today as a step master, dancer, singer, amongst many other talents. She is also the student retention specialist at Humble State University, moving on up to the east side, y'all. Thank you for being on the podcast, Tina. Thank you for inviting me. This is quite an honor. Like, look at these beautiful Black people just trying to represent. Thank you. So, Tina, tell us about your experience um, as an artist growing up. It could be in any of the mediums. Like, what was your adolescence like um, becoming becoming Tina as oh an artist? <laughs> Girl. So, um, I'm, I'm actually glad you brought up stepping because um, that's something that actually happened a lot later in my, I guess, my journey, if you want to say that, for lack of better words. But I started as a singer in the church. Know what I'm saying? Started, yeah, I started as a singer in the church. Um, I guess my parents noticed, like, oh, she's really good at this. And me and my sister, because, you know, I'm a twin. And my brother could sing too, but, you know, he's like, oh, that's not my thing. So he, like, kind of let that go. But, um, yeah, I started in the church, and that really did develop into something bigger. And that's when I started getting more involved in plays. So, you know, musicals specifically. So, I always did a lot of the singing and the dancing. Um, so, and then I went to college and then started stepping. And the reason why I did it is because it was something so different from what I was used to doing. Like I could dance, but stepping felt like dancing, but not really. So that's when I decided to challenge myself and get more involved in it. And oh my gosh, was it so amazing, so liberating because you were able to do it all. And because they knew, people knew I could sing, they always add, wanted me to incorporate my singing with my stepping. Um, and then I ended up pledging a sorority. It's the first multicultural sorority in the nation, U Sigma Upsilon Sorority Incorporated. I'm actually a founding sister at my university at Lehigh, which is in Pennsylvania. So again, East Coast. That's that's my that's my that's my jam. East Coast. Yes, girl. East Coast. Did somebody say East Coast? <laughs> <laughs> yes, me and Dee's ears perk up because we're dogs East Coast oh, what the heck? did you know we are from the East Coast <laughs> yes 
from the East Coast. We have like little antlers and we just find each other. Like, oh yeah, for sure. It's like a vibe. You can feel it. You're like, no, this, this, this girl not from here. I gotta know. I gotta know. Uh, and um, but I think what um I was the most scared and excited about was the fact that I had an opportunity to finally act. Um and I give a lot of credit to Michelle Burnell, um, aka Shelly, because she was like, yo, I want you to play this role. Um, the House Will Not Stand, was the, which was the play, it was an all black, well, majority black, because there's like one white guy, but like basically an all black women cast. And that was the first time I ever did like a, sh- what, what you would call like a straight play. No, you know, not really a lot of music. It's just, you know, complete acting. And I'm really grateful for that because I did it at Humble, you know, a place where typically you don't see a lot of that representation of Black actors or, you know, Black artistry. So that, I would say, has been a really monumental moment for me. Um, But that's really what made me, just the fact that I had the freedom to sing, dance, and, you know, do a little acting. I always wanted to be a triple threat and... I finally got that chance. People say I was good at acting, but that was probably the scariest thing I've ever done. (laughs) Triple threat. Triple, triple, triple. Girl, I wish. Acting is still... mm. Girl, I saw that play. You were good. You be quiet. That play was so good. I was over there like... (gasps) And all these white people are like, oh my God, what is this? I was like, this is our history. (laughs) Honestly. Oh my God, thank you so much. Honestly, like... It's so funny, like, when you say, like, oh, white people, what is this? You are so great. I'm like, girl, what? Whatever. But when I hear Black people say it, it it, it hits different, you know? Because I think Black people were critical as fuck. No, it's totally true. Like, our our criticism of the arts stem from how it's, like, intrinsically a part of us. So for white people, it's not a part of them and their, you know, their culture, because white people have no culture. So for Ah! us. (laughs) Man, somebody (laughs) had to say that some- You mean appropriation? That's a culture? Ah! Oh man. I feel like black people too, yo, we be so hard on each other. A white person can do something mediocre and we'd be like, it's all right. And then your cousin's over here like over excelling and you're like, you all right. <laughs> but you know you got the praise when a black person says sank. Yep. Sank. <laughs> it's true though. It's true. They're like, you were just so fantastic. I'm like, oh my God, thank you. Like, it's like, thank you so much. Because I believe you. Like, I believe it was good. Thank you. But yeah, it hits different. Yeah. So. It means a lot. Thank you. Y'all better speak the truth on this podcast. So, um, what brought you to Humble? Did your talent bring you here? Let's talk about that transition. Girl, no talent. I mean, I guess did my- you did you did you get a contract to come here and be a triple threat in Humble County? Girl, I wish. No. So I needed to pay my bills. <laughs> so um I ended up, so I would say Humboldt found me. I did not find Humboldt. I didn't even know what Humboldt was. Um, And 
basically I went to a conference called the Placement Exchange. So I'm, I'm giving a, I'm giving a shout out to TPE, amazing program where schools from all over the country come into basically one conference space, recruiting new and or you know or older like professionals who are interested in student affairs. Um, but I think some like the challenge is that sometimes it's just specific to residents' life, but they have other things like um, financial aid or you know sorority or fraternity affairs, um, student activities, things like that. Basically, the administrative side of the university. And Humboldt reached out to me, basically saying, you know, we saw your resume and we're impressed with it, so we would really love to have an interview with you. And the reason why I like this um, program is that there are some schools you're going to be like. I have no desire to go here, but this is really great interviewing practice. And unfortunately, saying this on freaking podcast, Humboldt was one of those schools. I didn't even know how to pronounce it. I didn't even know how to say Arcata. I thought it was Arcata. Like, I didn't know anything. So I YouTubed it just to make sure I said it correctly. So when I interviewed, I didn't like, you know, make an ass out of myself. But at that time, it, um, the associate director of uh, Residence Life, his, uh, her name was Patty Aurorick. And she was just so amazing because she was my last interview. And you know, you have to constantly prepare, make sure you say the right thing, uh, make sure you're just super professional. And what she basically said to me was like, oh, I, I've, I've seen your resume. I just want to get to know you. Um, and that was something really, it was a pleasant surprise after just a long day of trying to impress people. And that, that's actually what basically made me more attracted to the area. So that's when I did more research, um, saw how beautiful the place was, but didn't really understand what it was <laughs> until I got here. Because we do what's called you know, on-campus interviews. And that's when I got to see the real humble, but I still didn't understand how the culture was altogether. And listen, this place, paid like the money also made it very easy to be like I need to work here um and that's how I ended up here you know for such a long time <laughs> okay I guess do you feel like good about that you say like I've been here for so long is that like a negative or a positive thing for you I feel like people often feel stuck here specifically um, so I've been here for five, so this is my fifth year and I'm actually really proud of it because I didn't even think I would last a year here. And cause after like seven months, I found another job and was like, I need to get out of here. But I had conversations with folks and, you know, got what I needed to stay a little longer. Um, but ultimately I, I wouldn't. I don't know. I, I think stuck is a good word right now, only because COVID stopped everything. I said I was going to leave after five years and it's because I wanted to get vested, um, which, you know, requires a really nice retirement plan, which I'm like, you know, hashtag adulting. But um, I had no plans on staying here longer than five years. So it's, I do feel stuck right now, but I don't think it's, really much of my choice right now. Wow, that's interesting because you've come up, you've been promoted like twice in all of this time. <laughs> and that longevity of staying within one business, one organization, um, you know, people wanna be promoted. People wanna find growth in their 
you know, in their work. And so let's, let's break this down. Do you feel stuck within the organization? Do you feel stuck within your career path? Do you feel stuck because of humble? What is the stuck? So I don't, so I feel stuck right now because, um, well, because of the pandemic, I was looking for jobs pretty actively last or yeah, basically last year. Um, and I was applying to a lot of jobs, getting a lot of interviews and things like that. Um, but COVID basically said, you know, due to this, we are canceling or due to this, we are, uh, putting it on pause. And, um, there was really one job that I was, I thought I was going to get, and I was really excited about, and, you know, I'm not going to out there, um, organization, even though I want to, but I'm not. Um, and that's actually what made me be like, I need, I need a new experience. And that's essentially why I ended up be, now becoming the student retention specialist. Um, I was still technically a residence life coordinator, which I'd been doing for four, at this point, four years. And I, but I'm the, I'm the type of person that always wants to do more, which is why, you know, I was the interim coordinator for the African-American Center for Academic Excellence while doing this housing job, um, just because I wanted to get as much experience as possible, just to make myself marketable, you know, like, you know, very adaptable and very flexible. That way I can pretty much be able to apply to multiple positions. And um, while I love housing and residence life, I'm not gonna, you know, talk crap because they've given me a lot of professional development that I need. I know I can do more. And that's why I, you know, I started talking to people and asking questions like, what can I do to get the professional experience I need to move up and move out? Um, But again, because of the pandemic, a lot of things have been put on pause, but to me, it's still a blessing in a a blessing in a disguise, blessing in disguise um, because people are losing their jobs. Like people are unemployed, people are struggling financially and I don't have to worry about that. So while I have my moments of like how, like what the hell can I please go? I am still really thankful that HSU sees me as something and someone valuable to just, you know, continue to contribute. Yeah. I think that's something I keep thinking about too, where I'm like, just everything where I'm like COVID stupid oh but actually my job is remote now and I sit on my couch to go to work and like same thing now it's like oh it sucks that all this smoke is in the air and we're having these weird this weird like apocalyptic week but also like we're not on fire so (laughs) being able to say those things I think uh it's like the comfort of, of why we we settle right in any aspect where you're like, oh, this is good for right now, so. Yep. As, a, as funny as it sounds, I mean, it, it, it's taken me a really long time to like Humboldt, but because of COVID and because of these fires, I have a much deeper appreciation of this place. I really do. Yo, me too. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like... We ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I was like, I wanted to, I was like, I'm going to the Bay. I'm going to Sacramento. I'm getting out of Humboldt. And then I was like, when COVID hit, I was like, oh, you know what? I think we should renew our lease. 
<laughs> and um, I realized, and whether it's the fires or COVID, you know, I concur with you all. Like, I totally am humbled mm-hmm. by the safety net. I don't like when they say redwood curtain. You know, I don't really like that. But in this forest of trees, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's something comforting um, to be away from some of the madness. And not that we're like not going to be affected because we are affected. We're human, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it may be. But we are a little bit removed from it. Yeah. Yeah, even my mom feels it. Like she, like she's here and she's just like, oh my God, this is like prettier. Well, cause you know, I, I be talking mad, dude, I be talking so much shit about this place. And she's like, it's not even that bad. Like, why are you talking like this? Like, this is bigger than you made it think, you know. Cause she don't live here. <laughs> I know, and I feel like when you're, since we've been social distance too, it's like, I really only see the people I want to see. And like, although I do interact with, like my job and stuff and those people can be frustrating it's like so much less and I don't run into random people I don't know as often to be like microgressed or like have weird interactions with so I'm like COVID humble ain't that bad it's beautiful we got fresh air um but I think also I'm having these thoughts yeah because I haven't interacted with a stranger (laughs) and had like a negative situation in so long to, yeah, honest, like honestly, I'm like, wow, I really appreciate this place. Like, but you're right. I don't have to talk to people I don't want to talk to, like, because you're trying to be safe. So if you're going to talk to somebody, you vetted them through thoroughly enough to know that you can hang out with them. So it does avoid you from having to deal with the BS, the racism, the white guilt, all of that. And it's great. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, jump on that one as well like it's yeah the few interactions i have to have with strangers are few and far between and like it's i mean i didn't really leave the house much anyway so now it's just now it's like you can't leave the house like all right i like my spot (laughs) like i like my shit is dope so i'm like all right (laughs) cool and yeah exactly it's like only you know, I got these Zooms, uh, you know, the Zoom meetings and stuff. And yeah, those can be annoying when they're work-related. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm starting to hear from people, you know, cause it's like, we, we, we were already kind of isolated, even just from each other as black people, you know, like we definitely, you know, we definitely could have interacted more, but now I'm like, you know, people on Facebook, you like popping in my comments, like, oh, okay, sliding the DMs, like in the innocent way. I mean, but we're, you know, like people that people that I talk to when I see in person are like reaching out now or like my phone will ring and I'll have a conversation. Like people, it's like, man, we got time now. We really got more. I got more time to socialize than ever during social distancing in a way. And it's like, and it's more like, it's more fruitful social socialization. I would say it's not, it's not just the BS high by a uh, sports center. Like, yeah, no, like I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think 
that social distancing has forced people to be more intentional with their with their conversations with people and like I know I'm a social but I'm a social butterfly like extrovert with a capital E but for some reason the social distancing didn't doesn't doesn't bother me like I think I exhausted myself to the point where I was like I'm I'm done I'm done talking to y'all like people that I don't really care to talk to so, so actually I, I, question. Say that's, I feel like that's all Kevin and I talk about is like creating space and embracing space actually I have a question too we've we've asked I don't know if we've asked everybody on the show but how how has COVID impacted your art that's a really good question because um so I if we're going to talk about so my art, I would say like singing is def- like music in general is something very important to me. I would say singing is like my bread and butter. Like that, like that's my life. Like I, if people who really know me, um, I'm typically singing and or dancing like everywhere. And I think the way it's impacted me that I do a lot less performing, which kind of makes me sad. Um, I know that I was supposed to be in a music class this like semester. But that has been really hard because of sur- like because of the surgery I had and just the fact that they're trying to do some something that is so social, right? Like when you're in a choir with a bunch of people, like there is that camaraderie that's just missing when you're doing it online. And so I wouldn't say it's like impacted me negatively because I'm always going to sing. Like, as long as God lets me sing my heart out, I'm going to continue to do it no matter where I'm at. But I do miss that, um, like, what, what would you call it? I guess that, uh, that sense of community, like just everyone, you know, having that love for singing and performing. I do miss that. Um, so I would say I'm sad, but I can still sing. So that's why like that it's not that sad if that makes sense I, I just miss being able to share my talent with other people so when is the last time you've been able to sing and step I mean I took your stepping classes like let's talk about what you've been doing with your talents and humble oh my gosh girl like well so, so the problem is that okay so the problem is that I have not been able to step since October of 2019 because I got hurt I ended up tearing my meniscus running. Talk about being, trying to be healthy and shit. And here you are, like hurt as hell. Um, so I haven't been able to step like that since then. Um, performance wise, I would say I haven't, or in terms of singing, I haven't sang since May of 20. No, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, fall 2020. Wait, lies. Spring 2019. Maybe? Wait. No, you sang for Juneteenth for a Black Humble. Thank you. So that, that was the last time. Oh my God. Summer 20. Sing. <laughs> That's my best impression. Queen D, y'all. <laughs> somebody sign her. Is P. Diddy listening? Get her deal. 
Yo, right? Come on, I need a, I need a label, y'all. <laughs> every voice and sing. Girl, you, you got the light on us right now. They ain't ready. They ain't ready. Listen, I just, look, if someone's going to give me a label, I need it. I need to make money. Where's Mr. Easy? Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I've been listening to Afro Beats all week because of my mom. Of yes. No, Burner Boy, where are you at? But your mom, listen, see, my father is still on the old school joint. Like, like he. Like Bella? Yeah, like. Yeah, and a little bit after that, like he he not really in the Afro beats. He he got the those traditional. Oh my, God. my mom eats that. Oh, she eats that shit. Uh, I'm like, mom, look at this. Look at this. Yeah. Well, my hairstylist that I used to go to back east, like that's all that's on the TV, and I'm like, y'all better okay. get it in here. That's okay. Um, but yeah. So, what projects are you dreaming of now, despite your inju- injuries and despite COVID, what are things you, you're either working on or dreaming of? So I'm oh, again, I think I'm glad you asked that because, you know, I got my surgery August 10th. Um, so I've been healing, um, you know, and it's a slow process. They were honest with me because they're like, we could tell that you're an active gal. <laughs> the doctors, um, they could tell. Well, because I was just moving a lot faster. <laughs> you said no! Um, but I, I mean, I'm just also really passionate. I'm like, I'm trying to move as quickly as possible. And it's only been four weeks. If you really think about it, which makes me mad. I honestly thought I was like two months in, you know, three months in like, okay, y'all, I'm gonna start running. Yes. They're like, no, like you think you're cute with that. No. But um, in terms of dreams, like I can't wait to start dancing again. I can't wait to start stepping again. Oh my gosh. Um, I would like to, t- actually, my mom started to inspire me. I would love to start teaching like Afro beat classes, like with the dances and everything. Girl. Wait, hold up. You ain't never come to, wait, no, you did come to my Afro beat class. Yeah, I was like, don't play me. Yes, I do. Once, but my Niger sister should have been at every class. But you know, I've been hurt for over almost a year. Wait. But I was teaching this class for two and a half years. So tell me about. That's right. Okay, at Health Sport, right? Oh, I know. Dude, your stuff was late. 5.30 is late. Your, your stuff was 5.30. My class was Sunday. You had both. Which you did you not had Tuesday at 5.30. Okay. And Sunday, 10.30. 10.30, girl. Where, where, where on a Sunday, girl, who? 10.30. On a Sunday. It was church. It was I'm not going to lie. When I made it to 1030 class, I would be feeling good the whole day. But getting my ass out of bed and fed before that. Listen, that's tough. But but I'm saying on Sunday. What's what's Sunday? Lord's Day was rice and stew. So don't play me. And then Tuesday was at 530, wasn't it? Yeah, so you playing. No. So the time you actually made it legit, it was on a Saturday in like the afternoon that I went. And I was like, oh, bet. Like, I'm here. Here I am. What are the most difficult projects you've, you have experienced in Humble? I mean, I think any, any sort of project that requires this whole diversity, equity, inclusion thing, it's always really challenging because they're like, we just want to be not racist. We just want to be super inclusive but they don't realize how much one work to money. 
and like advocacy three, like how much that actually like takes for it to be successful. And when people are like, we want, we want to, um, we want a company or a place or a project to be more diverse. Um, I always ask them like, what does that actually look like for you? Because a lot of the time you're using buzzwords to sound appealing and exciting. So like, what are you actually looking for? What is your vision before I get super excited and invested just to end up getting disappointed later? So um, there have been so many of those. <laughs> so I, I, I really can't name them. But the one I, I am it. the most let's, proud of. Let's talk about it because this is Kevin's favorite topic right here. <laughs> I would say though, the most, the one I'm the most proud of because I do actually feel like they invested in this was um, I'm actually one of the founders of what we call DMSI or the Diverse Male Scholars Initiative that we um, have been working on trying to institutionalize at HSU um, uh, like two years ago. Um, the VP at that time was Wayne, Dr. Wayne Broomfield, and he made us go to a conference. That's when I was the interim coordinator for the African American Center for Academic Excellence. And he asked me to go to this conference where we talked about the challenges of uh, people of color, but specifically men of color and their graduation and retention rates. Like they're, they're abysmal in the CSU system. And HSU was like one of the worst. If we're gonna talk about 23, we're probably like 22, 21 of like the worst schools retaining men of color. So, you know, that was obviously devastating. Like they would they wouldn't tell us like which school it was. They they would not say, but we were pretty sure like we were at the bottom. Like if anything, bottom, we could say bottom five. Like honestly, it was it was bad. So that's when we started creating this um, initiative. And um, you know, Doug Smith, who's the current Af uh, coordinator for the African American Center um, of Academic Excellence, Fernando Paz, who's the Latinx coordinator for academic excellence, also known as El Central. Um, and then myself, and then we had this other guy, his name's um, De uh, Devin Hernandez. He used to work for HSU, but that's a whole different story. I don't really wanna talk about, but white people. Anyway, so um, we've all worked together to make, to try and make this like a legitimate program so that we can help not only retain, but matriculate these men of color. And you know, give them um, like tips and tools on how to navigate life after college. And HSU, I would say that you know, HSU actually was like, you know, this is something really important. And we ended up applying for a grant, and they ended up giving us like seventy-five thousand dollars to make this program happen for this coming year. And this would, I would probably say, this is the first time. I saw an organization or an institution be like, this is important. We're going to give you money to make it happen. So while I've had, and I've had a lot of opportunities to do better things, but they were not ready to put the money into it, which is why it ended up flopping or it was something that, you know, you put in your resume and say, yay, I'm like so proud of it, but it didn't really show anything. But yeah, DMSI, what up? Shout out to y'all if you listen to this. <laughs> Humble State, class of 15. Oh, wow. Um, I'll say that it was extremely challenging to be successful at HSU and it didn't have nothing to do with the classes. 
Um, I'm I'm interested. I mean, as an as an alumni, I've been in you know I've been in the workforce. I mean, while I was at HSU, and you know, for the last five years, and I mean, honestly, I'm just under the impression that it ain't no place for us in the workforce. The, we're we're training to get high level degrees, and then we go into these spaces, and we are questioned, ridiculed, uh, belittled, um, much like campus. So, I mean, you know, it's like, a, yeah, it's like I like to see folks that are serious, and, and you know, money talks in my book, but I'm just, it's just, it's, it's. Everything has to be all attacked at once, I think, as I develop as I develop my thoughts on like the stuff of like system systemic oppression and stuff. It's like you can't just sit here and like, you know, for lack of a better layman's term, but you can't just sit here and try and put your finger in a dike. Like you gotta like rebuild the dam. Yeah. So it's like, you can't, like, we're just sitting here trying to patch this up, patch this up. So it's like, yeah, we're make, make students more successful at HSU, but then, you know, the workforce is still fucked up. There's still, there's still, um, you know, the, the, the avalanche of things that require immense time and energy just to be a black man in a predominantly white company. Right. Yeah. No, I def I definitely agree with you, and uh, that's why that's why I'm like really uh, DMSI is like it's it's a, it's really a baby to me because and I'm I really care about it a lot because I do think that sometimes and and I think HSU I do I think HSU struggles with the fact like there's a lot of guilt if that makes sense I think there's a lot of people who really want minoritized students to do well but I don't think they actually know how to teach them because like you said yes you can to me I'll just say for lack of better words like you can coddle me all through college but are you going to prepare me for the like the challenges I'm going to deal with when I get into this really amazing job where I'm the only you know black face in an entire company like no one's preparing students for that. And I think that's wrong. And that's why I like this program. So I'm like, look, like we're going to cultivate you and take care of you and make sure you feel supported. And we're going to give you that reality check of like, look, we can give you all the tools that are going to give you this amazing job, but you might be the only one there. And that is a systemic issue that, you know, we're, we're not all going to be able to solve, but as long, I would rather be prepared, not that you're ever going to be fully prepared, right? Like we could tell you all the traumatic things that are going on, but you're never going to really experience it until you're there. But I would rather know what's going on so that I can make a more informed decision than you give me all this love and then throw me into the wolves. And I like, and I'm trying, and like the hope is that DMSI is going to do that. Like we're going to love you to death but we're also going to give you that reality check that you're not going to get the same love everywhere. I mean, I think, I think some of the issues are that like, um, you know, the retention rates are horrid. You know, I've seen people are taking longer to graduate than they need to take. 
they're on financial aid, they're just going further and further into debt. And then you graduate and and you don't really get a lot of love for that either from like from like the community. You know, I've seen I've seen folks come out of jail have cars waiting for them, you know. And I've also seen other people who know had nobody from their family at their graduation. Yeah. And so we're in debt. And then we're then we get this job. And when we're stuck there because we have to pay back this debt and find a way to live, which gives it it gives an employer a lot more power than they should have over people. And it's just, it's rampant with, with folks, folks like us, like where we're in these positions where there's all these forces coming at us from, from seven different ways. I got to spend an hour on black stuff every day. Like just being black. This is my, it's my being black schedule. Right. Like we're and, right? <laughs> and you, yeah. Like, okay. Pep talk decompress, you know, prepare, random stuff that happens. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's just like, it's kind of, it's just, it's kind of, con- it's kind of concerning in, in some ways, like, that that's the reality of it. And there are people doing things to try to overcome it and try to help with the issues but it's like yeah like nothing nothing hits you over the head when there's when you're when you're being asked to appropriate your culture (laughs) in your professional setting and you maybe have a family to take care of and you're in student loan debt being in debt makes it makes it a little difficult to buy a house or even do any of the things of you know actually you know starting a business like mm-hmm. you know like i'm i'm more about folks starting businesses than going and working for other people cuz at the end of the day like you they're they're going to push that button as long as far as they can and they're going to hold that leverage on you as far as they can yeah. and they need i feel like they need us more than we need them yep. Oh. And that's what I I think folks need to need to really wake up and understand that th- this whole thing is built off of us. It's built off of our our labor, and we own pop culture right now. We run pop culture. Everything that is popular, no matter the community, is coming from our community, but we don't own it. Right. So, um. So, I mean, it's like two rows, right? You have the trap of employment and then you have like, you know, t- giving, taking a shot. And it's like, like I was an older student. So I kind of knew a few things that maybe if I would have knew, knew those when I was like 18 or 19, right. that there's at least like, you know what I mean? It's not even, it's like, hey, go, get out of school, get a job. But hey, these are these are some of your other options to the end game. Like, check this: jobs are stepping stones. Right. 
jobs are stepping stones. Like it's two, there's two ways you're going to, you're going to, you're going to become one of them or you're going to go crazy trying to fight it. Yeah. Or, or you could wear joggers and a hoodie and a hat every single day. And I give a fuck what anybody thinks because you don't need them. Yeah. Wow. Um, Sorry. I mean. No, you're good. I was like, I don't even know what to. I mean, that's that's like that's so real, and I do feel. I do feel ultimately. I think that the the greatest end goal is to have your own business, be your own boss, and you know, live your own life. I I do think it's important though why people work in establishments is because they want to kind of learn the system. They want to figure out like what, like what are they doing that's working and how do you like, how do you challenge that? Right. And that's ultimately like why, at least with the students that I work with, I try to let the, I try, especially our students of color, because I'm like, I think what HSU does well is that, you know, they, they do empower students, even though sometimes a lot of these students don't need that empowerment. They're already powerful. So what the heck are they doing? But I think what they, I think a challenge in there, like at the school is that they think that they can fight the man, you know, like they keep saying it, like, you know, fight the system, fight this, do this, do that. And you're like, what does that look like? Like, y'all are not giving me any tools. You're just telling me to do it. And that's not helpful. And that's what, like, I mean, that's where I come in personally, where I'm like, look, in order for you to fight something, you got to know what you're fighting for. And sometimes that means you have to be in it in order to understand it. Because if you're, if you're just fighting, that like, it, it goes back to what you're saying. You're going to be fighting yourself to craziness because you don't actually know how to properly fight it, where you become independent from it, right? Like, that, like, that's what I've been trying to figure out because I am, I am, uh, 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 what is it? I guess, uh, I am one of those people where I am in a job longer than I would like to be because I am crippled with student debt, but I'm very grateful because I've been able to pay almost half or well, more than half of it now. And I've been here for five years. And my ultimate goal is to buy a home because I don't want, I don't want to pay someone else's freaking mortgage because that's what rent is. You're paying someone else's mortgage and I refuse to do that. So if I can find jobs that are going to make that as part of my compensation, that's me learning how to play this quote unquote, play the system. Cause that is exactly what I will do. Oh my God. Even if that means leaving at home, I don't want to do that, but like, ugh. yeah, the system, System is the system is a system. I mean, one of the things, one of my observations on campus is kind of like is like folks are, you know, they'll tell you like, hey, like we got your back when it comes, you know, if anybody does, we got your back type of thing, and you know. It's like I'm I'm a black man. I'm the most dangerous man <laughs> everywhere I walk. So oftentimes they don't really understand how much that actually is the case. Right. And so after 
after a year, after two years, they get sick of it, and they don't. And the support wanes. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's been that's been my experience. Is like okay, like the problem's not the racism anymore. The problem is that you're complaining about it. And it's like, well, if I walk across campus as staff and a stu- and a, another staff is asking me if I'm a student and maybe one day I lie and say I am a student and she just starts talking down to me and like just like acting it's like that's why they ask that mm. that's why they ask if you're staff or student okay so they, they yeah I always wonder about through. that too they oh, figure out how to oh, that's they like figure the first out, thing they're like oh your rank you know like, this is how this is how they treat you and then when you go tell people you know, I get asked that a lot too. That is interesting. Or, or it's like, um, yeah, and it, like even just walking around as staff with other students, white students, microaggressing me. Like, hold on a second. Mm. It's like I'm official, <laughs> right? Um, but it's it's like it's. I mean, that's been a general thing with like allyship for the most part, though. It's like when they when it when they see it, they don't accept it. They don't accept they don't accept how deep it goes. Yeah, they're not ready to accept it. Yeah, I don't like. Yeah, the the performative allyship is exactly why I was like, I need to take a break from white folks because. This like this work is exhausting. And I think sometimes they go into it really excited, but not realizing how much work, how taxing it actually is, and the privilege that they have when they're able to just, you know, tap out of it and leave. I mean, I think um I mean, I'm sure you're, I'm sure your group's discussing this though, but one another thing that comes to mind just like the whole pile of the pile of shit is like negotiating salaries. Ooh. Those are fun. That the yeah, I mean that's something that folks need to know about. Like I have to teach myself about about how to like do that. And yeah. and it's still, I mean, you're still never gonna get market value especially in Humboldt County you know you're not going you're not going to get market value no um I mean me personally yeah it's like getting you know doing some research on like what your compensation should be mm-hmm. not accepting the first offer yeah. um then there's another one but just like being just being aware of like um Oh, setting and setting, setting boundaries, yeah. setting boundaries, man. Cause it's like me, it's like, 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 it's like early on, I was like, I felt like I was lucky to be in some of these spaces and it's like, wait, hold on a second. I, I have the talent. Yeah. You deserve to be there. I have, I have the talent. So you know, just learning to push back or it's like, we're, we're basically like shunned from doing that in any, in, 
in in most environments we're pushing back it's like oh now you're aggressive so just figuring out like you know i figured out like a nice gentle way to push back assertively i'm still refining it uh part of it's not caring <laughs> yeah i mean That's i have to say that a lot I had to do that a lot when I first got here. But it's like it's 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 hard to not care because you, we've seen that it can be it can be your life. That can be the you know what I mean, and I mean maybe it's like trauma and from like being on the streets to like being in a professional setting still have like some trauma of like authority figures and different things like that. So it's like for sure, so many things. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the transition is, yeah, it's interesting because you are like, yo, I, I like, I don't like authority. And then you become that authority figure and you're trying to navigate, like you're trying to navigate that. I mean, that's, that's challenging in itself. But, um, I, I know when I first got here, I had to con like, you don't have like, yeah, there's just not enough representation. There's not enough people telling you like you deserve to be here. Like, you know, imposter syndrome. I mean, that's what it is. You don't think you deserve to be there, but then you have all these other outside forces, like constantly questioning your worth, constantly questioning your ability. And that's what I had to deal with when I first got here. And it, like, I had moments of insecurity and then I had to be like, girl, what you left a place you're super familiar with, they freaking hired you. You're qualified to be here. You are, you deserve to be here. Stop letting all these other insecure assholes like rain on your shine. And the fact that we have to deal with that mental gymnastics in addition to working in an all white space, in addition to then learning your role is crazy. And this is exactly why black people are fucking amazing. That is exactly why despite all, you know, the trials and tribulations, we're more resilient than a lot of these other non-Black folk. Like, that's a reality because we're constantly having to think in 20 different spaces, like 20 different ways. And that shit's ridiculous. And I think sometimes people don't even realize it because it's so normal in our, like, in our DNA, literally. It's like watching these people freak out over COVID. Like, it's like... Okay. So you, so you have to stay home a little longer. Boo-hoo. Like, what the hell? Tuesday. I'm going to truly enjoy listening to this podcast. <laughs> 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 no, I talk about it all the time. Like, the way people complain about things, I'm like, okay, so how about Black people? We're dealing with COVID. We're dealing with fires. We're dealing with racism. Like, we're dealing with sexism. Like, we're dealing with so much shit. And you're mad about a little, like, oh, I can't go to the mall? Like, shut up. I wish that's what I was upset about. I wish that was my issue. I can't. I can't. I can't. This is so good. <laughs> no, people exhaust me. That shit is crazy. I was so happy. I was like, oh, I don't have to talk to nobody? Bet. Okay, so let's 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 change gears a little bit because Kevin will he's gonna keep smiling. Yeah, I know. Oh my, I'm into it. Like, oh, tell me more. What the hell? So, speaking of COVID, how do you use your arts to heal yourself mm. while we're in shelter in place? Because I know I'm in here dancing and singing. 
my soul away, okay? I'll be like, God, do you hear me? <laughs> for real though, for real. Uh, no, no, that, that's literally it. Surprisingly, I write more. I do write more. I suck at writing lyrics, honestly. Like people are always like, oh, I wish I could sing. I'm like, I wish I could write. Like, like I write stories, but I wish I could write like, you know, just beautiful lyrics. Just like for someone to sing to, like, uh, that would be like, I need a ghostwriter. Like, like sometimes that's how I feel. I feel like I want like oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can't sing. I've had that moment. My whole life, when I was a kid, writing these little love songs, and I'm like, damn, if only I could play the piano and sing. <laughs> I have no, like, my musical abilities are dance and, like, writing to rhythm, but I cannot sing, have a pitch. I can barely talk. Yo, as a kid... No, but I wish I could write. As a kid, I used to be remixing Ashanti's Baby, Baby, Baby to match whatever words I was writing about. <laughs> I used to stay in remixes. I'd be like, oh, they're going to get me at 106 in Park one day. Like, going to be a music video. Like, I went to film school literally to make music videos, and now music videos aren't a thing anymore. <laughs> like, like Can we back in the day. Can we talk about how 106 in Park was a thing? AJ and Free. Like, that's us right there. I was in that. I was in 106 in part when I was in college. But that, that's when <laughs> it was Bow Wow. Yeah. It was when it was oh, okay. Yeah, now we talking about, we talking we about we was, Bow Wow. We talking yeah, about when we was at free. home. Yeah. When we was at home waiting for Freestyle Fridays. Yep. With Free and AJ. That used to be my shit. Yeah. I love that. I was BT sucks now. But it, it was old. But that, that's when uh, Nicki Minaj, was it Nicki Minaj? Yeah, Nicki Minaj was, a, was just getting popular. So she sang a little bit and Trina. You said Nicki Minaj was popular when we was in high school? No, she was just getting popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not, po- no, we gotta, we gotta fine tune that word. We knew Nicki Minaj on the East Coast. She wasn't yeah, okay. popular. So, like, when she was a rapper, though, I'm talking, okay, okay, that's fair. You know, you, you're right. Yeah. He, I'm saying when she became that, like, you know, the, the Barbie, like that, that version of Nikki. Like, she was still, like, she was like up and coming, and Trina was there. Like, I, that's when I was on the show. Oh, 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 right. The Bow Wow version of 106. Yeah, okay. not the not the old school. No. Yeah, I was like, that would make sense. Yeah, because of how old we are. It's <laughs> not lining up right now. I know. Yeah. Tina's eight years old on free oh, day, like <laughs> with her little beads in her hair. Y'all are fake. Recording the music videos on VHS. Yo, I had every single Michael Jackson's music video on VHS, and me and my homegirl used to watch that shit and learn choreography. That was like, I used to like sleep with that tape of VHS. I just had all the Michael Jackson music videos, and I would record them. I'm not that young. Y'all be playing me. That shit. Anyway. Y'all be playing me. What the heck? Like, I remember cassettes. Me too. I want a cassette, okay? Shit. Man, you like making little R and B joints for my little girlfriends and stuff back in the day. Dog, the mixtape. Don't get me started. My melodramatic ass. I thought I was so masterful in my music placement and my naming of mixtapes and the precision I would get on the tape. 
and then which lucky you gotta put a new piece of tape on a cassette tape because you gotta rejoin but also Mm -hmm. can we talk about the craftsmanship that goes with that it'd be pretty these are the (laughs) memories yo um you got like like the lisa frank tape with like rainbows and unicorns on it you ever lose your tape though you gotta take the pen the pencil wine and join up Oh, oh, or, yeah, and then oh, you get messed man. up or something, and you're like, God damn it. Can we talk about the God. millions of our generation? Because people keep calling us the millennials, but we took an hour. I know. To, I know. To do all of these things two hours, three hours. Especially, like, I have a 15 year old sister where I'm like, Girl, you don't know. You don't know nothing. Nothing. You don't know nothing. I'm wild. People come from VHS or cassette tape. I didn't even have a... I was just talking about this the other night. I'm like, I didn't even have a cell phone with social media until I was over 21. Yeah, I, I was... I had the little Nokia with the green background and the little snake Wait, thing. Over 21? Oh, I don't know about that. Oh. Yeah, I was like... I was a little late to the smartphone, but, like, I didn't have the internet. Like, I went on Facebook on my computer. And, like, I didn't have an Instagram. I had, I had, that, I had the sidekick. I had the T-Mobile sidekick. I was like... <laughs> Oh my god, I love that. I wanted one so bad. I was like, what? So, so bad. I was like, I will text everybody. All right, like, I had minutes. Y'all talking about that, but did y'all not, yeah. did y'all not I, have, like, Nextel? Beep, beep, where you at? The whole city behind us. Nah, Yo, I never got on the Nextel. I did have the Nextel. I knew plenty of niggas with the boop, boop in their pocket. Yeah, I had the, I had the, I had the chirp. I'd be like, Yo, I had... Yo, yo, when I, I was want everyone like, to know your business. That chirp's annoying. It's basically a walkie-talkie. I had a pager, just a beep beep. I had one. I had a pager. I was like, I was in like fourth grade. I had a pager. Yep. And I was at the, I was at, I was at my friend's house, and and it went off, and she was like, "You got a pay." And my shit was decked out too. It had all the lights and the glitter and shit on it too. <laughs> that like blue kind of translucent. Yeah, you see the colors like, through it. Yo, y'all are stupid. My my dad had a pager when he was on call. Like, what the hell? Why hold up? After hey, I was a single after mother, turned, you know. After I turned my pager into my mom, she had switched me out with the two way pager. You know, little yeah, see, I had that one too. I had the and sky tail. I had the little I red one. Young, what the I like actually had that. Just I still had. I had like a box of all of my old electronics. That I just probably got rid of like last month. But do you remember the beeper gum? No. It was a. (laughs) It was like how they used to sell candy cigarettes. They used to sell gum and it came in a beeper package. (laughs) Really? And each one had a different message on the top. And you got and you got you can only. Yeah. I remember too. I used to be like pageant pageant the. you know, page of my little girlfriends back in the day. Yeah. Like one, was it like one five five one seven seven one five? It say like I miss you, with Aww. numbers. Or I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. The things we used to do. I was just talking about that, like the power of the three way call to somebody too. Like this generation is like not knowing the struggle of having a house phone and strict parents. Oh, I see that. Oh my! Yeah, I'm trying to be on the internet, but you holding up the phone line. Dial up, like, dial you better get that off. Dial like, up. But I want an away message, mom. Dial up. 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 Dial up
can we talk white about people have away messages wait can we talk about the party line though the party line <laughs> hey that was so lit the party line was lit See, we can get back to the good times, y'all. Oh COVID gonna be... Ch- that's about to be us. That's about to be <laughs> us. Another virtual Miss Lorna. <laughs> Man, I'm ready for that anytime. Any, any, anytime. Is there anything else that you wanted to share about your work in Humboldt County and being an artist here? Um, I just absolutely love it. I mean, I'm never like I, I, you know, I'm just blessed with the fact that I have the talent to share um, with people, and I'm just really thankful that y'all thought of me. Like, I this was like really cool, and I have not seen black people in a while, so I do really appreciate um, seeing your beautiful faces and do like black is amazing and black is beautiful. So, thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much for being here. We're- thank you, Tina. Thanks, Tina. Can you please tell the listeners where we can find you on your social medias should they need to book you or contact you? Oh my gosh, stop it. Okay, so on, I mean, at least on Facebook, um, just look up my name. Actually, ugh. so my name is too common, which makes me really sad. But um, at least on Instagram, you can find me... My name right now is Quarantina. So come and get me. What's up? Follow me. Um, but on Instagram or on Facebook, it's just te- it's Tina Okoye. O-K-O-Y-E. But yeah, Quarantina, you can look me up or it's, uh, what is it? Mi- uh, Beanie or Beanie Bell? I don't remember. Just look at Quarantina. You on LinkedIn? Oh, LinkedIn. You can look up my name. Same thing. Tina Okoye. Again, O-K-O-Y-E. Thanks, y'all, for listening to The Black Aesthetic. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and tune in every Wednesday. Follow us on all socials at Black Humboldt and check out our website at www.blackhumboldt.com. If you want to send some love and feedback, email us at blackhumboldt at gmail.com. And make sure to use the hashtag Black Humble Aesthetic. B L A C K H U M B O L D T A E S T H E T I C on social media. Until next time, continue to walk in your Black excellence. Yeah.